Well, church, guess what we're going to be looking at today? John. That's right. Uh, We are in John chapter 14. If you go ahead and open up your Bibles to John chapter 14, we're going to be continuing to look at the actual longest recording teaching of Jesus in all the Gospels, the, the farewell discourse. And we're in our third week of looking at that discourse, but as we Before we move on, let me just catch you up. So right now, uh, we're in the upper room. Jesus is having the Passover meal with his disciples. This is going to be the last meal that Jesus has with his disciples before the crucifixion. If you remember up there, he washed their feet. He gave them an example of what it was like to live in the kingdom of God, about serving others, about the first shall be last. And then we had Judas Iscariot, right? And it's told by Jesus, what you're going to do, do it quickly, And Judas leaves the upper room. He takes off to go tell the Jewish authorities where they can find Jesus and arrest him. And this is the plan, right? The plan was put in the motion. The plan from Genesis chapter 3, Judas initiates as he goes to tell the Jewish authorities where to find and arrest Jesus. So that is put into motion. When Judas leaves, Jesus begins what we know today as the farewell discourse. The first half of this discourse, everything we've covered the last three weeks up until today, we're going to conclude the first half this morning. It takes place in the upper room, and it's, it's primarily focused on Jesus trying to calm the hearts of his troubled disciples. As they are starting to realize what is going on, they have troubled hearts, and Jesus is trying to calm them. You can imagine these disciples, the fear is starting to build up as they realize that Jesus is leaving, that he's possibly facing death, and their hearts are are just filled with fear and anxiety and uncertainty. And we see that they begin to fire off questions to Jesus. What's going to happen now? Where are we going? You can imagine the first disciple we mentioned last week, of course, Peter, throws out the first question, and then Thomas, and then Philip. And it's in their questions that we see that their hearts are troubled. And in answering their questions, Jesus begins teaching them, and he's trying to comfort them. He's trying to settle their hearts to let them know this will be okay. First, he promises them eternity with them in heaven, that no matter what comes at you in the next few days, it's going to be okay. You will be in eternity with me forever and ever. This time period, it's nothing but a mist compared to the time that we'll spend together for all of eternity. And then second, Jesus assures them that when he leaves, the Spirit will come and it will empower them to live out God's will during these trials that they will soon face. And it will be this guiding, uh, active person in their life. And as Jesus is answering their questions, the disciples start putting these pieces together, but they realize something else. They realize that Jesus' rule, the messianic rule over the nations, would not begin immediately after he left them. For their entire life, as they studied the scriptures, they understood uh, Isaiah's prophecy that we'll look at in chapter 40, that this this, uh, prophecy about the day of the Messianic kingdom would come and that the entire world would see this kingdom come. It would be this spectacular event and everybody all at once would see it. Isaiah prophesies this, in the wilderness prepares the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up and every mountain and hill be made low. The uneven ground shall become level and the rough places a plain. 
and the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it come together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. And this is what the disciples were expecting to see when the messianic kingdom took place, that it would be revealed to everyone, that everyone, that all flesh would see this together. But as Jesus is teaching several times, he talks about this interlude, he talks about this time period that he's going to leave. It's this interval that he's going to be leaving them and the kingdom will be revealed to them and to not others. In chapter 13, Jesus said, where I am going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow afterward. In chapter 14, verse three, Jesus says, I will come again and will take you to myself that where I am, you may be also. In verse 19, yet in a little while, the whole world will see me no more, but you will see me. And as the disciples are listening to Jesus' teaching, they hear these distinctions between what they will see and what the world will see or what the world will perceive and what they will be given and what the world will not have, what the disciples will enjoy. And in their minds, they cannot square this distinction between the messianic kingdom coming and being revealed to some and not others. There's going to be a delay before this splendid, this spectacular era described in Isaiah 40 is fully ushered in. And again, the the hearts of the disciples become troubled. They were just beginning to make peace that the Messianic age was coming and things will be okay. But now they're hearing that there's gonna be a time period. And before we criticize the disciples for panicking, for having troubled hearts prior to one of the greatest moments, not one of, the greatest moments in all of history, literally the the most life-giving event to happen in all of mankind when Jesus goes to the cross. We have to remember that we have the advantage of hindsight, right? Hindsight being 2020 as we look at Jesus's farewell discourse because we know what's about to happen, right? We we know the future and we hear Jesus's teachings and we understand their experience from a divine perspective because we have all of scripture to compare it to. And therefore, as the disciples' hearts are getting worked up and troubled, we're able to sit back, we're a little bit calm, we're a little bit relaxed. May I say we might even be annoyed at their despair that we can look at them and say, guys, just relax. It's gonna be okay, just just stop being little babies, man. Trust Jesus, right? It's easy to say when we're not in that moment. And if we're not careful, we can just gloss over this passage as disciples being needlessly troubled and we can miss out what Jesus has for us to learn when our hearts are troubled. We can miss out on the truths of Scripture when we are facing things that only we face that nobody else is going to face. When we struggle with obedience, when our flesh pulls us in another direction. And sure, we can compromise. Sure, we can rationalize. Sure, we can make up excuses and reasons security it just feels good jesus doesn't know what i'm going through right now and we can rationalize rationalize not trusting jesus when our hearts are troubled and we're unsure about the future we're going through a situation we don't know how it's going to be resolved we don't know what's going to happen and our hearts are hard maybe they're restless maybe they're even drowning in hopelessness and jesus has words for us And let me just remind you of this before you go criticizing the the disciples. The tables have turned, 
right? If indeed people in heaven are watching the events on earth, the disciples are remaining calm while our hearts are troubled. They now see our experience from a divine perspective, right? They have walked with Jesus. They have been in the kingdom. They have lived through their situations, and they see our situations now from the perspective of eternity, from the king room of Jesus, they are looking down on us and saying, what are you so worried about? Jesus is king forever. Jesus is faithful and he will always be with you as he promised, just like he promised the disciples this day. And he said he will manifest himself to all who loved him. And the disciples are sitting in heaven saying, that is true. Right? You can bank on that. You can bet on that. You can live your life that way. But at that time, their hearts were troubled as they were anticipating Jesus leaving them. Right? We left off last week with Jesus' promise to manifest himself to the disciples once he was gone. And as you can imagine, the disciples have one final question. How? Right? How, how are you going to manifest yourself? How are you going to make yourself, reveal yourself to us once we are gone? If you open up your scriptures, we're going to begin in verse 22, and it says, Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Now, before we go on, don't get distracted. Judas, it's obviously not Iscariot. That was a common name back then. Right, we know that Judas was also a uh, half-brother of Jesus. We also know there was another guy named Judas who was another disciple of Jesus. He was one of the original 12, and now he's one of the remaining 11. And that is the man that is asking this question at this time. And Jesus answers his question by teaching him and the, and the rest of his disciples about his departure and what that will achieve for them. He's teaching them what they will experience that the rest of the world will not see. Church, let's go ahead and let's read through this answer together. And then let's, I want to share with you three things that I believe Jesus teaches the troubled heart to comment. That as believers, as followers of Jesus, we will experience that the rest of the world will not. In verse 23, it says, Jesus answered him. If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. And my father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words, and the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all the things I bring to your remembrance, that all I have said to you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. You heard me say to you, I am going away, and I will come to you. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced, because I am going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. And now I have told you before it takes place, so that when it does take place, you may believe. I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming. He has no claim on me, but I do as the Father has commanded me, so that the world may know that I love the Father." Rise, let us go from here. Heavenly Father, as we look at this passage, I would just ask that you would grab our hearts, that you would help to settle our troubled hearts, the things that we are wrestling with. We would be able to look at these truths and you would be able to calm our hearts, that you would be able to manifest yourself into our lives where we need to see you most.
Lord, I just pray that as I'm teaching, it would just be your words and your heart that would come out and would grab hearts. I ask for your forgiveness and saying anything that isn't true, and I ask for your grace in communicating uh, to this church, Lord, that it would be used for your glory and for our sanctification. Lord, we love you and we thank you. And it's in your son's name of Jesus we pray. Amen. And we see here in Jesus' answer, we see how he would manifest himself to anyone who loved him. And we'll see first that Jesus is manifested first in our love for him. Church, you want to see Jesus' love for you. You want to feel Jesus' love for you. Then love him enough to do what he says. Right? Make him the authority in your life. Turn to the scriptures. Right? Jesus, we know from Scripture, is the word manifested. So we should use that as our authority and we should follow him. It's a promise that when we obey him, we will experience the love of Christ. When Jesus is speaking to the disciples, he's using the, the same language that he used earlier in chapter 8. He said, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. And what he means here is the person, the, the literal word is to keep watch or to guard So the person that perseveres, the person that follows the word, the person that guards their heart with the word in it, in his word, it is him who will have life. It is him that will experience the love of Christ. Too often we see Jesus' commands as this whole list of do's and don'ts. And as Christians we do our best, we do our duty to God and to the best that we can to make sure we're in those right categories of do's and don'ts. Unfortunately, I have figured out, and I think many of you have figured out, that mere duty doesn't keep us on the right page very long. Right? It doesn't generate the obedience to Christ to follow those rules, not at all like love for Christ does. Right? When we're focused on Christ and his love, we find that staying in the right list of do's and don'ts is much easier. As a growing Christian, I was well aware of the things in my life that fell on the wrong list, of the do's and the don'ts. I lived out Paul's struggle for not doing the things that I wanted to do and to continue to do the things I didn't want to do. And I became very obsessed with trying to fix those things myself. And as I was wrestling with all those different things in my life, I was wondering, hey God, where are you? God, why, why, why are you doing this to me? Why is this so hard? And then in the the middle of the struggles, at the darkest times, I would just even ask sometimes, like, hey, God, don't you love me? Why are you letting me do this? And as I struggled with each of these issues, simply from the words that I used, from the hatred in my heart to the selfishness in my actions, I tried to memorize scripture, I tried to read books, I tried to listen to sermons, I tried to seek godly counsel. All those things are good and worked for a little while. It wasn't until I shared a struggle with a, a mentor of mine. I still remember to this day as I'm sharing this struggle. He didn't ask me, what passage are you trying to memorize? He didn't say, what sermon have you listened to? He just said, how's your walk with God right now? How, how is your walk with God? I'm like, what does that have to deal with the problem I'm facing? Right? Well, I, want, I want to know about me. And he said, no, 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 this starts. How is your walk with God? When was the last time that you reflected on the gospel? When was the last time you sat and you looked at the gospel, you looked at the cross and you saw God's love for you? Because it's at that cross that Jesus reveals himself and it's at that love when God is revealed that draws us to love him. And we know that we can love him because he first loved us and when we love him, 
The Holy Spirit dwells in us. The Holy Spirit lives in us, and it's His Spirit that will support us in our loving obedience to the teachings of Jesus. When we are walking with Him in obedience, we find Jesus is manifested in our lives. Right? We see God's love in Jesus, and we experience God's love through our obedience to Jesus. When writing on these verses of Jesus, of Jesus' response, Matthew Henry said this, love is the root, obedience is the fruit. Love is the root, obedience is the fruit. And when we love God and obey him, not out of duty, that's not love, but when we obey him out of love, he manifests his love to us in a deeper way each day. In that obedience, we experience the love of Christ and our hearts are filled we see it in scripture we see it in psalms that if we delight ourselves in the lord you've heard me say this a thousand times if we delight ourselves in the lord he will please say you listen to me he will give us the desires of our heart right if we delight ourselves in the lord if we make him the supreme thing in our life if we seek him he will give us the desires of our heart which is more of him Love for Christ breeds obedience to Jesus, which manifests his love for us. And as we are living in obedience, we see this crazy cycle. Jesus reveals himself to us, and as he reveals himself to us, we love him more. And because our love grows for him, our obedience for him increases. And as our obedience to him increases, he reveals more of himself to us. And as we see more of himself, we love him more. And as we love him more, we are more obedient to him. And as we're more obedient to him, we learn more about Jesus. And it just keeps going in this crazy cycle Jesus reveals himself to us. We fall more in love with him. We become more obedient. Jesus reveals more of himself, and it goes over and over and over and over again. Simply put, you want to be more obedient to the commands of Christ when times are difficult in your heart. When your heart is troubled and your life is a mess, here's what you do. Focus on loving him more. Focus on loving him more and start with the cross. When you question if Jesus loves you, when you question where Jesus is, when you question Jesus, what have you done for me? Just go to the cross and look at the cross. That is where his love for you was revealed. And I want to be clear as we are teaching this. Obedience is an attribute for those that know Jesus' love. It's not a requirement to earn his love. Right, we are loved by grace, so obedience is an attribute. It is something that we do um, because we love him. Right? We love him because he loves us. It is not something we do to earn his love. It's out of his grace that he loves us. And it's out of love through obedience that Jesus' love will be manifested in our lives at all times. Then Jesus goes on to tell us in this next part of that passage that he is, is manifested in the peace that he gives us, that he gives believers. If we look at any of the top ten things of what people want, peace is a mainstay right it isn't the constant thing you know maybe it's two maybe it's three maybe it's five but the top 10 list of what humans desire is peace every human desperately longs for peace peace from responsibilities or relationships the 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 relentless racket that is going on from day to day whether it's social or political or infectious disease whatever the conflict of the month is that's what we want peace from we want peace from the pain and the thumping inside our own heads Right, the conflicts and the strains that we inflict on ourselves every minute to be better, to be stronger, to be smarter, to be prettier, to be thinner, to be better parents, to be better spouses, you fill in the blank. 
But there's a peace that we seek away from that. And as we try to find peace in these things, we find that our human spirit reaches yet further beyond those things. Right? Those are just lesser expressions of the inner tranquility of the spirit of peace that Jesus promises us. He promises peace that's not abstracted from the world of responsibility and relationships, but it is nourished and it is expressed in the midst of those things, in the midst of those responsibilities, in the midst of those relationships. We still find peace, not in the absence of them, but we find peace in Jesus in the middle of them. And such is the peace that Jesus offers. He says, my peace I give you. That, the very face of unspoken, unspeakable suffering and grief and uncertainty. Jesus offers peace. He offers a, a peace that surpasses all understanding. It is a peace born from a living, personal relationship with Jesus. Dependent through a growing surrender of life to his gracious rule that we surrender to him as not just a savior but as our Lord and we give him that authority. And it's his Holy Spirit that makes that available to the troubled hearts of the disciples and to the troubled hearts that we find in our own lives. The truth is we are inadequate to provide the peace that we so desperately seek. But the Holy Spirit makes us competent. But the Holy Spirit makes us courageous but the Holy Spirit through obedience to Christ gives us peace. It is through the guiding ministry of the Holy Spirit that we can recall the words and teachings of Christ and we can apply them to the church in Rome. Paul wrote this, he said, for all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For he did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. We are sons and daughters of the living God, right? The all-powerful, the almighty, the all-loving God calls us sons and daughters. No matter what we are facing there is a peace that comes through knowing Abba Father. There's a peace and comes through knowing that he loves us. There's a peace that comes in knowing that he sent his son to die for us so that we can be reconciled to him and be his for all of eternity. And when I hear this, I think that no matter what we are facing, there's this peace that comes with knowing him, that when we suffer with him, we will also be glorified with him. And when we are in our trials, we can have peace in knowing that we are suffering for him and will be glorified with him. And I think of this, and I think of, of Polycarp, and I don't know if you guys know who Polycarp was, but he was a second century bishop of a church in Smyrna, right? present day Turkey. Some people have argued that he may have known the Apostle John, that he may have sat in his teachings. Some offer that John discipled the man that discipled Polycarp, but um, not really sure about those things. But we do know that sometime between 150 and 160 AD, the Romans were cracking down on those who would not worship, worship the Roman emperors as God. Right? We call them Christians. And we know that the Roman Empire was not happy about this. And they were going around and they were, they were gathering people and they were killing them. They were being whipped, and if you read the accounts of this, to where bone and, and tendons and flesh was, was just ripped apart. They were being fed to wild animals. They were being burned alive. 
And all of these, most of these, were public executions. They were put in, being put up on poles and lit to be lamps during the night. And here we are in, in Turkey, in Smyrna, this Roman proconsul. He's the, the leader of that Roman area. He sent guards to go pick up Polycarp. And he said, bring him to the stadium because in front of all these people, we want Polycarp to renounce his religion. And history tells us that when Polycarp heard the news, he was not disturbed. Actually, he tells us that he went and he prayed. And then the guards arrived at his house and he set a table for them. And he said, hey, just give me one hour to pray undisturbed. You guys can sit here and eat and do what you want. You can take me to the arena later, but give me one hour of uninterrupted prayer. And after praying for two hours, they picked him up and they transferred him towards the arena. And as he's standing in the arena, the the proconsul, the, the Roman leader of that area, looks at him and says, I have wild beasts. I will throw you to them unless you change your mind. But he, talking about Polycarp, said this, call for them. For the repentance from better to worse is a change impossible for us, but it is a noble thing to change from that which is evil to righteousness. Then he said to him again, I will have you consumed by fire since you despise the wild beasts unless you change your mind. But Polycarp said to him, you threaten with fire that burns only briefly and after a just a little while is extinguished for you are ignorant of the fire of the coming judgment and eternal punishment which is reserved for the ungodly. But why do you delay? Come, do what you wish. And as he spoke these and many other words, he was inspired with courage and joy and his face was filled with grace. Then the materials prepared for the pyre were placed around him. Right? They've, they've at this point said, we're going to burn you at the stake. And the materials were prepared for pyre were placed around him and they were also about to nail him. And he said, leave me as I am for the one who enables me to endure the fire will also enable me to remain on the pyre without moving, even without the sense of security that you get from those little nails. Talk about a man who's going to be persecuted with the peace of God in him as he faces life's trials. And like the disciples and like Polycarp, like so many more of Jesus' followers before us, as we allow the, the guiding of the Holy Spirit, we experience the peace that Jesus gives even in our darkest times. Even when our hearts are most troubled, we find true peace when we are walking with Jesus. Peace is a gift from Jesus and is that peace that he has manifested in our lives. Is when we are experiencing that peace and living that peace that Jesus has manifested to us. So far, Jesus said he's gonna manifest himself in his love for us. He's gonna manifest himself in the peace that he gives us. And then finally, we see that Jesus is manifested in the hope that we have through him. In the final verses, Jesus assures the victory is his. That this devil could, could have a hold on Jesus only if there was justifiable charges against him. But Jesus' death would be his due. There was nothing the devil could do. Jesus' death is far from being the sign of his defeat at Satan's hands. 
It is the culminating proof as Jesus declares that I love the Father and that I do exactly what my Father's commands are. As the love of Jesus' disciples for the Master is attested to by their obedience, by them following Him, so also does the Son Himself remain in His Father's love by following His commandments, by being obedient to the Father. And Jesus' love for and His obedience toward His Father are supremely displayed in His willingness to give up His own life. They are displayed when he is willingly going to the cross. And it is through that sacrifice on the cross, it is through Jesus' giving of his life that we gain life. He exchanged his righteousness that we might have life. Scripture tells us that all of this is from God, that through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation That is, in Christ God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us that we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. It is through Jesus' work on the cross. It is through that work that we have hoped. It is through that work that we are saved. The, Christ gives us, the cross gives us life now and for all of eternity. And like the disciples, it is our belief in the achievement of Jesus' death that gives us hope for the future. It is the belief of what that meant, that through his death we know that Jesus paid for our sins. We know that they are completely paid for. We also know that it is through his death that we have been reconciled to God, that we now can have relationship, that we can be in relationship with God. It is through his resurrection that we know that Jesus is victorious, that Jesus won, that Jesus is, uh, uh, supremely reigns, that he is sovereign over all and everything, and that he reigns supremely today and tomorrow and the next day and for all of eternity. And it is through the life and resurrection of Jesus that we have no reason to fear our present problems. Right? It is through the life and death of resurrection we don't have to dread tomorrow. We don't have to worry who wins. We don't ever have to think things are hopeless because we know Jesus wins. It is through his life and death and resurrection that we have hope for the long tomorrow. And if you remember what the long tomorrow is, the long tomorrow is all of eternity when we are in the presence of God. Right? We have hope that during that long tomorrow, we have hope that all wrongs will be made right. We have hope that all sicknesses will be healed. We have hope that all brokenness will be restored. We have hope that all of our days, every single one of our days, will be spent in the glory of Jesus Christ. We'll be spent in the throne room of God and that we can sit there and we can worship and we can sing holy, holy, holy in the most perfect place for all of our life, for all of eternity, starting uh, whenever we die and go see Jesus and ending never. That is the very first part of a very, very, very long tomorrow. And it is because of his death, it is because of his resurrection that we have the hope of tomorrow. And it is through these things, it is through these things that Jesus has manifested to us. That it is through our lives, they, they should be filled with these things. Right? If we are followers of Jesus, our lives should be filled with Jesus living in our lives. We should be filled with the love of Christ in our lives. 
We should be able to walk through life, even in the midst of problems and trials, and have a peace that only knowing Jesus gives us. That is how Jesus is manifested to us. And at the same time, when we face whatever this world can throw at us, we have the hope of the long tomorrow. And as Jesus has his disciples gather here for this last meal, and we, we know in this last verse they're about to get up and go somewhere, but as he's sitting there and as their hearts are troubled, Jesus reminds them, I will be with you. Right? I, I will be with you in my love. I will give you peace and you will always have hope. And that is how you will know who I am. Dear my Father, we just thank you uh, for these words. Lord, we thank you as our own hearts are troubled with so many different things as we have loved ones that are in the hospital, as some of us are sitting with doctor notes about what is going on in our bodies. Some of us have relationships that we don't think are possible to restore. Some of us have families that are so broken we think there's no hope. Lord, we're gonna hold on to the promises We're going to hold on to the promises that you will manifest yourself in the life of the believers. We're going to hold on to the promises that your love will be manifested in us. We're going to hold on to the promise that we have peace in knowing you. And Lord, we we will grasp with both hands the hope of the future of spending eternity with you in heaven. Lord, we just pray as we go through these trials that we would see. We pray as we go through difficulties in our life, you would be manifested in and through us. We pray for those in our communities, Lord, and those that we have relationships with, that when they are facing troubles, they will see you manifested in us, and they will come to know you in a way that transforms their lives for all of eternity. Lord, we love you. We thank you for your love for us. And Lord, we just pray we'd be your witnesses as we go out into the world. Sin, you're powerful and wonderful and gracious and saving name of Jesus, that we ask all of these things and all of God's people said, amen.